that you know I do have a client. Talk Recorded live. At 10.30, so I just want to get right to it. Get me all caught up. I am so excited to hear about your trip and how you're doing and what's going on with you and how you're using your EFT. Uh, so, uh, first of all, everything is great. I had a wonderful visit with my family. I, um, the day before I traveled, I had to do a full body PET scan, which was unnerving, uh, one, because whatever contrast they gave me made me so violently sick, and having never had it before, I didn't know I would react. So it wasn't a fun experience. And then, of course, it made me anxious because I kept thinking, well, if you poke around long enough, you're bound to find something, right? And there's nothing wrong with me. So, and then I left for a week, so I didn't know the results. Uh, I only told my littlest sister, and I was very tempted to talk to my mom. It's like, mom, you know, you want to be consoled. It doesn't matter how old you are. But then I'm like, you know, this is probably going to turn out okay. I don't want to worry my mother. And then what I did, what I actually did, I prayed to Mary directly because I do. I am Catholic. I know that I'm protected. And in the room where I stay when I visit my parents uh, in the apartment, uh, there is uh, this... uh, well, it's not, let's say it's a painting. It's not really a painting, but uh, it's a, there's a painting of the Madonna on the wall. So where I'm in my bed, I see her, and I just went, I am asking you for this. I want my PET scan to be completely normal. I come back, guess what the result is? Completely normal. Um, but every time I got anxious, I would tap on that because I've noticed that mostly when there's that undercurrent of anxiety going on, uh, that that is where EFT is most helpful for me. It really breaks it up. It's like stops it. It somehow interrupts that pattern. And I have also used it for a couple of other things that were work-related. And so so just, you know, in terms of my health, um, you know, I spoke with the doctor. They want to do another blood test in January because, you know, there's no real diagnosis, there's nothing to treat, they need to monitor me. So now, because my blood results were three grams of something, uh, my focus is when I do the test in January, it's going to be two or better. I want to bring it down. And so I don't know why I focus on two or better. I'm not asking for zero quite yet, but there you have it. And um, in terms of what I wanted to specifically ask you, obviously everything we've been talking about is related to EFT pretty much. Um, I keep going back to what Jeanette told me about you, and that is you having this impeccable record of always getting every client. And yes, you had a bit of a disclaimer over one client once, but... Let's put that aside. Uh, Because I do something, as you know, completely different, and I don't think this would be in any way infringing on anything that you do because I'm not a coach. And thank God you understand this whole medical education grant writing thing. 
what can you advise me on in terms of that? Namely, uh, you know, some grants get declined and some get approved. Many more get declined than approved. I want to refine that approach. So yes, I only want the right grants. I want the ones that are right for me, uh, which may not be everything. But, you know, what are there any things that you do vis-a-vis your clients, getting them to say yes, that you are willing to share with me that I can try and apply? It's interesting. It wouldn't matter to me if you were a coach. I don't necessarily, I mean, I want my clients to be with the right coach, even if it's not for me. So I don't worry about that. And there are some sort of real-world kind of muggle sort of things that I can say that I do that I'm not sure apply in your industry, but I will tell you what they are, and then I will tell you what my LOA practice is. Um, I, I think one of the reasons I have a higher closing rate than most coaches is because of my blog which I'm not sure is something that you can use. But, I mean, if anybody who goes to my webpage spends 15 minutes on my blog, they're going to know who I am, and there are no surprises. They know what they're getting. I mean, you get what you get. And I write from the gut, and so they already know the who they're talking to before they get on the phone, um, which I think is useful. Mm-hmm. I think... The other thing that I have going for me that I do a lot, actually, because I think it matters, that I'm not sure you can do, is I I try very hard not to hard close, not to close at all. I mean, I talked to a client earlier this week or at the end of last week, and I could sense that she was ready for coaching, but she wasn't sold. And I didn't try to sell it. In fact, I sent her the name of four other coaches to talk to mm-hmm. before she hired me. Okay. Um, and I, I do that frequently. I mean, in your case, your request was so specific that I didn't do that. I couldn't think of anyone to send you to except possibly Carol Look, who's not taking clients. Um, but I, I work very, very hard inside my thought process to just, tell myself over and over and over and over again that I can't, I can't lose my client, kind of like you can't lose your grant. So, I mean, if I, if I refer clients elsewhere to shop around, if I say, I don't feel like this is right for you right now, let's touch base in three weeks or six weeks, like I can't lose my client. I mean, in relationship work, I say to my people, if it's right, you can't get it wrong, and if it's wrong, you can't get it right. Like, it just won't work. You can't force something that's not right to happen, and you can't mess something up that is intended to be yours. Um, so I think that mindset of just, like, utter abundance that I can, I can let any client go. I can coach for free if I need to. Universe is always going to get me paid somehow, some way. Uh-huh. Um, I, and so the, the mindset of, This one client that's coming across my desk right now, and I'm going to have a conversation with them, I love them deeply. I want what's best for that person, but I don't need them. And I think that is 
very rare in coaching circles. Because in coaching circles, so many clients are so red hot, kind of feeling the need. If I don't get another client, I need another client. I need another client. I need another client. Like I signal to the universe loud and clear that I would love another client, maybe. I mean, I don't always want another client. But I never, ever allow myself to carry any kind of thought or vibration that says, boy, I need this to happen. Mhm. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes total sense. And excuse me, I'm going to blow my nose, and this is very rude. So, <laughs> oh, it's okay. a good thing we really like each other. Blow your <laughs> nose, please. <laughs> so that is that is really, and it's it's like. From a mindset standpoint, that's the sort of umbrella mindset that I want to come from, is there is no client out there that's important, that is so important to me that I'm going to need them ever. I want my clients to come to me because we're the right fit. I want to work with people that I'm going to love, and I can, I can let them go. Like, I just, I can. I can talk to people. And if it doesn't work, I can let them go. And it, it almost never happens. And, I mean, even the women that I talked to last week where I sent her out with four other referrals and said, go talk to all of these people and let me know how that goes, I have my first session with her tomorrow. Like, it, because I think they sense that everything's okay here. You know, this is a successful person who's not freaking out, which is rare. I hate to say it, but that's uncommon in my industry. I mean, I think Jeanette carries a very strong vibration of non-neediness because she's not needy. And it's pretty easy for me to do because I'm not needy. I've got plenty of clients. But you've got to own that vibration before the, you know, before it materializes. Um, from a practical standpoint, um, I prepays like spend time and I, I calendar in the time to prepave each and every one of my you know introductory client sessions. Um, and then when those sessions are over, I meet with them in my you know kind of on that soul plane. Like, just in case I didn't feel wonderful about the session, which in your case might be a grant application or something like that. Like, I, I literally, in sort of a meditative space, pretend that I'm sitting with them, talking to them soul to soul about, you know, the beauty that I see in them and the possibility that I think is, you know, there for them and, and how much I would enjoy working with them and, and what I think we could uncover together. So I do that both in the real world and in the meditative world. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, so. mm -hmm. And that's it, really. But I think that, you know, the pre-paving, again, we're all, we're LOA coaches in my world, and you'd be surprised how many LOA coaches don't do it. They don't pre-pave those things. And I think for me, that wrap-up of that soul-to-soul meeting after the fact, after that initial introduction, is probably the most effective. That is what I do. What do you do now? Like, what is your current practice around all of that? Your LOA practice around uh, your <laughs> Right. So, um, 
I, I will tell you in a moment, but I, first I want to tell you what's going on through my mind, and this is not the first time that I've thought of this, that it may be a good idea to create a ritual. Yes, it can be called prepaving. It can be called anything I want. But mm-hmm. before I click send on that grant, to completely, like consciously stop and turn it over to the universe and say, thank you in advance. Thank you for whatever outcome. If it's mine, it's going to be mine. If somebody else is supposed to do this job, I'm grateful for that too. And really consciously ritualize that moment of sending it in. So over the years, I know that my biggest issue around this was attachment. And I am far, far less attached to my grand submissions now than I used to be because I know better. But I also know the reason why I used to be so attached, namely the amount of creative energy that goes into this a big grant proposal. They're all like, they're like 20, 25 pages. I had to come up with creative idea, uh, spend a lot of time talking to experts about what's really important, who would do it, put together an agenda. Uh, You know, just a lot, a lot of work. And because of the amount of creativity and energy that goes into it, uh, obviously, in order to create something beautiful, you have to give it your all. So there's a lot of heart energy and other energy goes in it. Now you have to cut the umbilical cord. And before I knew better, it would be, oh, how can they not love this? It's so great. And if they say no, oh, it hurts so bad, right? So not a good idea. Uh, And over the years, I have continued to learn more and more about just not being attached, sort of separating, giving it all in the creative process, saying this project deserves the best that I got, and the best that I got is so good, I'm just going to do the best, and then let it go. So this is, I feel that there's still some room for improvement in the non-attachment and the letting go. And so, again, one thing that I thought about was this conscious, you know, like, like a small ritual. You can call it a prayer or whatever. And the, the, the one reminder that I got uh, is I, was, I read something recently about the Buddha, which just stopped me dead in my tracks, and I thought of you right away. So the Buddha is already awakened, right? He's on his mountain, and every day he gets up, gets dressed, I hope he showers, but basically grabs his begging bowl and goes into the village. He goes door to door and stands there begging for food because that's what monks do. So if the house owner decides to give him food, the Buddha is grateful. If the house owner decides not to give him food, the Buddha is grateful because he understands that the gift of giving him food on that day belongs to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, oh. 
So, I mean, there are a million things here to grasp, namely even the Buddha, who you can say could have materialized any food just by sitting on top of the mountain, takes action and gets dressed and does the thing, right? So there always has to be action. But this gratitude for the no. Now, I am very far away from the Buddha, but that just grabbed me completely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah. So I don't do, you know, I don't talk to my clients soul to soul. I don't do the things that you told me you do. Um, So our conclusion is that there's room for some practices for me, right? Oh, and I love the idea of ritualizing it. Have you read, there's a book called um, Hiring the Heavens. Have you read that? No. I'm going to send you a link to two books, actually, one called Easy World and one called Hiring the Heavens. They're both short and easy. Okay. Um, and it strangely reminded me of you praying to Mary. I mean, Hiring the Heavens is kind of lighthearted. And, you know, praying to Mary is, that's, that's a heavy-duty prayer right there because she's got a lot of, there's a lot of power packed in there. But, I mean, it almost feels to me like you might want to go through your angel resources, like ritualizing it. One angel that you work with with your proposals and, you know, that you light a candle when you're getting ready to send that proposal and you invoke that angel to carry that proposal to the right, right, right hand with the right heart at the right time, like that kind of ritualization, I think would be amazing. And it would help you actually to adopt that Buddha attitude of, you know, if, if you've done that, if, you, if this angel is carrying it to the right place at the right time, the right hands with the right heart, and it still doesn't land, you know for sure that it, you know, it's somebody else's honor to be able to pick it up and work with you at a later date with something else. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the idea of ritualizing, and that is the sweetest story about Buddha. I love that. And I think, really, like non-attachment is probably, if I had to say, what, why I have this closing rate. It is the non-attachment. I was in a group of coaches the other day, where there was some discussion about there's this thing in the coaching industry about how do you coach someone around their resistance to paying for coaching. And there was a whole discussion about that, and it came my time to speak, and I was like, I would never do that. I can't even imagine like, why I don't. Oh, like, I'm not going to coach someone out of their resistance to being coached by me. That's silliness. I don't, I don't need them, and that's okay. Mhm. I totally I, hear you, yeah. And I know your industry is tough. Sorry, somebody's dialing in and it's obnoxious while this is happening. To voicemail. Send to voicemail. There we go. Um, you're, I mean, it's not tough. It's just different. It's complicated. Another story that came to mind for me, which I will share with you, and then I will tell you why it came to mind while you were talking. Um, There was an artist in this little Mexican village. And this artist, I mean, he was good, like really, really good. 
but it was kind of a touristy little village. And frankly, there was a lot of art. On the, I mean, you know, a lot of people selling stuff and what have you. And But he wanted not to be like a street artist. He didn't want to be a tourist vendor. He wanted to be an artist artist. And like not, you know, he didn't want to be selling trinkets. He wanted there to be some value with his work. And he was trying to sell these pictures and really just struggling and like selling them for 10 and $15 a piece. And at 10 and $15 a piece, imagine how many pieces you have to sell to make a living. How many pieces you have to paint to make a living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he went to his spiritual master who said, you know, I, Juan, I want you to spend three weeks painting and I want you to get a whole bunch of works that you can take and don't take them to the tourist market. Take them to the supermarket. Take them to the grocery store where people who live here go and buy their groceries. And Juan was like, why would I do that? <laughs> that makes no sense. And he's like, oh, I'm not done. And he's like, and I want you to give them away. And Juan was like, I cannot do that. I put so much of myself into my art. Like, I, I paint these pictures. This art comes from inside me. I pour everything I've got into these. I can't give them away. And he said, and the master said, I'm not done. And then I want you to paint for another three weeks. And I want you to take your pictures, all of them, to the supermarket. And I want you to give them away again. And Juan was like, master, I can't do that. I have to make a living. Like, and, and I'm not giving away my art because I, get, I put so much of myself into it. And the master said, and I'm not done, and repeated it. And Juan went back to selling pictures on the street for 15 bucks and finally got really, really sick of that. Like, he realized he wasn't getting anywhere with what he wanted. And he was really tormented because he poured all of himself into his paintings and he couldn't give them away, but he did. Painted for three weeks, went to the supermarket. He handed beautiful pieces of art to little kids, (laughs) like just gave it all away and did it again and did it again and did it again. And you know what happened with Juan's art? What? People in the community who live there and buy groceries and, you know, real people, not tourists, but people started having his art on their walls. And he became the artist that had, you know, in nice homes with, you know, people with lots of money. But his art was everywhere. All of a sudden, Juan's art was like super, super in demand because people saw it everywhere. Mm. The master's point was (laughs) that yeah, you pour you pour yourself into this thing that you create that comes from your heart and soul, and that is your art. That is your job. And then you release it into the world and see what happens. But your job isn't getting somebody to buy it. Your job's not trying to figure out how to price it. Your job isn't trying to figure out where in the market to go put up your stand. Just do your art. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like you doing these proposals with all the love and care. I think if we can look at that as art, like that's just your art. Just go through your art with all of that love and soul Mm. and release it. And that doesn't mean release it without the other pieces. Do the ritual. 
you know, think of it like Buddha. Do the pre-paving and the post-paving, the soul communication, or whatever. But do it just knowing that you just created the most beautiful art in that proposal. That is your art. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. You package up love, with, <laughs> you know, and 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 healing in a in a proposal, and you send it out. That's beautiful. And you've got a ton of other worldly kind of support that can help it move it into the right hands with an open heart at the right time. You're absolutely right. I love this. Love this, love this. You, we are talking about the same thing, but it's really mm-hmm. helpful to talk through it and kind of, uh, you know, get get another perspective and validation and sort of, um, you know, encouragement for practice. So, um, yeah, I, I like this idea of, of discipline. There's something, something about it. Um. And I love the idea of ritualization because I think rituals are more powerful than habits because they're fueled with the sacred. Yes, and they're conscious. Mm-hmm. It's intentional. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I am very mindful of your time, my friend, so if you need to go, we can wrap I've it got, We've got five more minutes. So. Oh. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, ask your question, and then there was one other thing I wanted to share with you that came up for me early in our conversation. But just, so just, you, just tell me. Um, I think I have said, I, I mentioned to you before PS Tech when we originally talked about EFT. Did I send you the PS Tech resources? Uh, if you could resend them, please, that would be so helpful. PS Tech is similar but different. I mean, almost more different than it is similar, but you will understand it when you hear the first thing, the first click track. Um, and when you said that EFT is really good at breaking up the, you know, any run of anxiety, mm-hmm. I, that is very much how I use EFT. I, I tend to say that EFT for me is triage. Like it's, it's first aid on the spot. It's something that I can just like go sit in the bathroom for, you know, four minutes and take a deep breath. And, you, you know, like EFT is, is my is my backpack that I put on through the day that I, you know, that's, those are my daily tools that I carry in my purse. ES tech is something that I use much more for big sticky issues and for big long-term vibration shifts. Um, and the two of them together, I think, work really nicely in terms of, you know, they, they kind of run different, different, has in my life. PS Tech is something you have to sit down and do. You can't do it on the fly. Short takes 11 minutes, but you're going to have to give it 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Where PS or EFT can happen really quickly. So the marriage of those two modalities, I think, is really lovely. And I really, PS Tech has been really, really good for me for shifting, like I said, the big stuff, the long entrenched patterns that I didn't want to hold anymore. And and shifting those things really quickly. EFT is it's that daily on the spot tool 
you know, to stop the anxiety or to shift the nagging thought as I go through my day. So I'm going to send you the PS text us and, you know, at least listen to the click track and, you know, kind of try it for a few days and see if it, see if it feels, I don't know, solid to you, useful to you. Don't use it if it doesn't. Okay. I have a feeling you're really going to like it. Okay. Okay. I'm very intrigued. I am so happy you took that trip, by the way. I'm I'm happy you saw your family. I'm obviously thrilled about the results of the PET scan, but you just, I'm glad you did that for yourself. Oh, yes. Yes, it fed my heart, my soul, my mind, everything. Yeah. Totally. Yay. <laughs> yes, a very good thing. All right, my dear. I will send you right. an email with those resources today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sending you a Have big a hug. Time. Big hug back at you. Bye.